You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome, everybody, to the Sectarian Review Podcast, coming at you sort of live, as a podcast can be, I guess, from the Inferno, the recently named studio here at Mount Aloysius College for uh, the Sectarian Review Podcast. Um, I am, as always, Danny Anderson, uh, thanking you for joining me and downloading another episode of this. Um, As always, please uh, consider going to iTunes and leaving us a review. Join the Facebook page, uh, follow, we post kind of interesting things, I think, there, uh, and have really interesting conversations from listeners, at least, and uh, go to Twitter uh, and find some links there. And also, you can always find everything we do, including our little blog at the sectarianreviewpodcast.com, www.sectarianreviewpodcast.com. Um, and uh, once again, I just want to thank uh, the Blind Revelators for allowing me to use their great cover of uh, Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down as my opening music here. Uh, it's been a lot of, it's very nice of them to, to, to share that with me. So um, today uh, that's an apt song. Um, I am joined by uh, Coyle Neal. Uh, if, if I was ever to take on Satan, Coyle, you'd be the person uh, that I would, I would bring with me. So how's it going, Coyle? Uh, it's going well. Do you, so do you like do a different song every couple of episodes now? Or? Um, no, I, you know, I'm restless. I have no stable personality, you know? And so I like to <laughs> get bored with things after a while. And I heard, I just was doing a YouTube search and, uh, or, you know, just one of the rabbit trails and discovered this band. And they're the Spanish band that do all these like Americana covers and old gospel covers. Uh, apparently they're no longer active, but uh, they were nice enough to let me use their, their song. And so, yeah, I, I just thought that was a perfect song for the show. Who knows? No, how it's, long it's a last. good song. Uh, <laughs> like we, we have this song that everybody hates. But <laughs> I, who hates Woody Guthrie? Oh man, you should, you should see the hate comments we get from that. Like we'll get, I love your show, but oh my goodness, that intro music is terrible. And uh, we've, we've had guests on the show criticize it before. <laughs> You're kidding. Do they know who it is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's uh which it's fine. It's just kind of, my thought is it's a lot of work to change. So, you know, they can deal with it. Uh, that's a good point. Well, I, you know, I think that's a perfect song for your show, which we're talking about. If you're not uh, familiar, we're talking about the city of man podcast, which is a, a sister show here on the Christian humanist radio network that brother Coyle, show, uh, brother, uh, show, brother show, city of man. <laughs> okay. It's it's a people show. It's a peoplehood. It's it's a peoplehood, right? Um, and Coyle Neal uh, co-hosts that with Ed Song, uh, and they do. If you're not uh, familiar, uh, Coyle is a conservative, and Ed is a liberal, and they talk politics, and it's uh, always really really interesting and one of my favorite podcasts. So, uh, Coyle, I, I'm going to put this right on you. We're both as uh, we're warming up here, asking why in the world are we, our world are we talking about this? <laughs> No, we don't really know where this show came from. Apparently you were joking and I took you seriously and here we are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so a while back, I don't even remember what I was, I was looking at something on Amazon, you know, they do these, you, we think you would like whatever, whatever. Yeah. And this, this book popped up and I was like, well, that looks kind of crazy. So I, I looked at the page and read the Amazon page 
And I was like, man, this is this is a basket of crazy. I bet Danny Anderson would like this. Uh, so I, I put the link to the book on uh, like on your Facebook wall. I was like, hey, we should do a joke about uh, we should do a show about this. Ha ha ha. And you were like, yeah, I just bought it. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, I took you seriously. I thought you wanted like, to do a show. Money on this? Well, it was four dollars. The the Kindle version of this book is four dollars. Um, you have to put it like this: you gave the author of this book four <laughs> of your dollars. I think he probably needs it. Um, <laughs> maybe he's investing in some nice medication. Um, but <laughs> the book we're talking about is called "Sacred Scrolls of Seven Seals: Lost Knowledge of Good and Evil" by uh, a Sudan pseudonymous. Uh, <laughs> Uh, author named Judah, uh, who's his, his name might be Judah. Come on. Well, it could That's be, but in, on his <laughs> Amazon page, it does say something along the lines of this is a pseudonym to protect does, his identity, yeah. <laughs> to protect his safety or something. Um, and, and he is a, a verified best-selling Amazon author with, uh, with whatever his real name is. Um, and so I'm just going to go under the impression. This is Thomas Pynchon. Um, and, uh, <laughs> this is a little side project of his, so. Oh, which makes it make a lot more sense when you think about it. So um, let me just uh, spell out this book and I guess talk a little bit about what how, what I hope to get out of this conversation. When I was talking to my wife about this last night while we were recording, uh, she says, and she gave me this scrunchy face and she goes, and why are you talking about this? <laughs> and I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what I said in a minute here. So, but the book is this uh, like prophetic you like version of conspiracy theories. It's got this kind of rock hard prophetic kind of Christianity uh, that you see in kind of small churches back in the fifties, sort of uh, if you can picture this environment um, that takes that worldview and addresses many of the same topics that your typical conspiracy theorists addressed dresses um, and yet weaves them into this kind of, prophecy view of the Bible and and he interprets events and, and history through this very interesting um, um, lens of prophetic uh, readings of the Bible. Uh, and so ultimately he constructs this all-encompassing theory of history as some sort of satanic plot by elites who he keeps referring to as the order uh, throughout uh, the book to control the world and to subvert uh, the natural order of things put forth by God. Uh, and like I said, it shares a lot with secular conspiracy, with the secular conspiracy world, but it kind of twists um, this uh, run-of-the-mill conspiracy into this religious box that he's, he's, uh, he's constructed for himself. And so what I'm hoping to get out of this discussion is to understand a kind of pattern of mind uh, uh, that not only conspiracy theories uh, have that, that they display, but they also share often, I think, with uh, prophecy-driven Christianity. And I don't even know if there's a name for that. Is, that, uh, is there a more technical term for a... a I mean, so you'll you'll often hear that associated with dispensationalism. I wrote that word right. down, and I wasn't sure it was right, but I'm okay. <laughs> uh, it, which which is not to say that all dispensationalists do that, uh, or that all people who do that are dispensationalists. But there, there's probably the most overlap there. Uh, you might you know look at some of the the you know historical millenarian movements would would do. Uh, uh, things like that as well, uh, and and it, it pops up you know every so often in Christianity. So it's it's not just a modern thing. It's all the way back to the early days of the church. We we see this sort of thing going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And and it's something it's kind of very near and dear to my heart um, because I experienced so much of this 
form of Christianity growing up. Um, right. There was, I mean, the, my memory of church very much is it's always nighttime and somebody's talking about the, who might be the Antichrist and, and this sort of thing, right? And so this kind of, I mean, it probably is why I'm so interested in conspiracy theories and uh, in general, but, um, but it's also, uh, I think, a very interesting window on a kind of religious mind. And so that's the re- that's my kind of intention in talking about this. And so we'll see. Uh, we're, I, I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about this book. And I don't even know how to approach talking about this book. It is this giant sprawling, I think, 500 page um, book of micro essays that are seemingly related, not in any particular order <laughs> and very hard to follow sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I think you, you, def, you, you outlined like his kind of his purpose, right? I mean, uh, uh, the, the book is about the order, right? Which, which is basically everyone this guy hates yeah. and, and it's, uh, it's skull and bones and it's the Masons and it's the Jesuits and it's Hegel and, and it's Yale university. Uh, and I mean, it, it, it's especially Yale university. I wonder if this guy got like a rejection letter at some point and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, this this order, wh- whatever it is, this this uh, uh, this this group of people who control the world, uh, they're 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 sending history through this cycle where civilization gets built up uh, and then is is intentionally collapsed. Uh, and every time it collapses, they they hoard all of the knowledge and all of the technology and slowly dole it out over time. Uh, and then as civilization gets built back up, of course, they're because they're the ones with control over the technology. Uh, they're the ones who have all of the power. At least that that's sort of the overall view. And then each each little mini story fits somewhere into that big, broad, sprawling worldview. Yeah. And his I think from my mind, kind of unique twist on this is the experience explicit way he ties this in with biblical prophecy. Um, and now in his Facebook page, he talks about that. He wasn't even sure if he believed the Bible when he started writing this book, but it somehow it convinced him of the Bible's truth uh, by using the Bible to read, to create a conspiracy theory of, of this grand narrative conspiracy theory. And so I think that's an interesting uh, like mix of things. And so I, this, I, I'm not going to recommend people go out and read this book. Definitely go to the Amazon page and <laughs> you'll get enough uh, information from there. But if you are, you know, interested enough to take a look at the book, it is only like $4 on Kindle. And, so, and apparently there's a sequel out now. I just noticed a uh, uh, secret, sacred scrolls to whenever, um, right. Weekend the, the next too. seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, what are your thoughts on the book, just in general? Uh, before we I mean, kind of begin a more formal discussion about it, I mean, first of all, my my thought is if this guy wrote like a a running commentary of Weekend at Bernie's too, I would pay four dollars for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Judah, if you're out there listening to this, please write that book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It. Uh, yeah, uh, my thoughts are clearly this this guy has a view of the world uh, that has to set aside a lot of kind of reality, um, or, and and he would say he's he's scraping away the surface to look at the reality underneath, and I guess I'm I'm a champion of the real, and I'm like no, sometimes there's there's nothing underneath, right? It's <laughs> it's it's just the surface is fine, uh, like the Civil War can have been about slavery. That's that's okay. <laughs> Uh, it, it doesn't have to have been in, you know, Illuminati projected. I, I wasn't even entirely sure what it was. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a that's a, a common feeling I had reading these chapters was I began getting lost in all the details he's assembling. This this is one of those uh, examples of 
conspiracy writing in which so much, so many references are brought in, you lose track of what they're actually saying. And there's this kind of rambling, like almost stream of consciousness nature to, uh, right. to the organization of information um, that appears very kind of scholarly, I suppose, but then it just is nonsensical and it may, and you can't even follow it. Well, and I, I, so I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't check all of his sources. Uh, so he keeps, he keeps referencing this, uh, this Russell family, which yes. is, you know, the, the great villain behind everything is uh, all tied back to this, this Russell family. And I did not look at the book he kept referencing, uh, but I've actually read some of the other books he referenced. Uh, so I, I have read, uh, chariots of the gods uh, oh, uh, by, uh, uh, Von Daniken. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. Like I, I, I will cheerfully <laughs> encourage everyone to go read it. Uh, not because I think it's right, just because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And it's, you know, this, this sort of sixties cult classic yeah. uh, holdover. Um, and it is the, I mean, um, and he, he sorry. talks about this, that book is the kind of, Oh, I guess basics basis for that ancient aliens series that um, the history channel uh, puts yep. forth. Van, Von Daniken is like a central figure in that show. And, uh, and he is very critical of that show as, as kind of another form of deception. But so, right. but this book shares a lot in common with, <laughs> with what he was doing. And so it's a ironic uh, critique then, but go ahead. Right. And, and Von Daniken's also the, uh, the basis for Stargate, both the movie and the TV series. So, you know, there's, there's another thing he gave the world. That's a good uh, yes. <laughs> master of the 21st century here um. uh, yeah i mean uh, uh, obviously i part of me is like really sympathetic and and clearly this guy is is living in a world that he finds very frightening uh and living in a world that uh uh where he he seems to believe that things are beyond his control uh and that that you got to sympathize with that i mean you, you've got to have uh, uh uh pity uh for for that sort of approach uh that that sort of mentality um on the other hand, uh, yeah, it, it, there's there's also the element of humor, clearly, uh, <laughs> that, that has to be appreciated. Uh, if you read this too seriously, it's unreadable. I mean, yeah. it's, it's unreadable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and it's crazy. I, I don't know that I have thoughts beyond that. One of the uh, things that I noticed stood out to me, and I started laughing out loud, it, one of his sort of standard um, tactics in making an argument is to point at something and then connect it to something else. Sometimes like across vast spans of time and space. And so that really can't be connected, but he makes this effort to do so. And, and at one point in the book, he's talking about Odin, the, the Norse God. And, <laughs> right. um, and he's making the claim that Odin was really, Nimrod, I think from the Bible. Am I wrong? Or some, somebody from the, no, that's, that's it. <laughs> and, and, and there's the, the same people. I mean, temporally, this cannot be the case, right? Or, or, you know, I mean, geographically, but he's making this case. And then he gets on this digression about the Norse gods. He says, Oh, and by the way, did you see they found Thor's hammer? And did you follow the links to that? I, I didn't. I was reading this on a Kindle, like on a yeah. on an old school Kindle, oh. so that's not oh yeah, okay. not an option. Oh, I was reading on my iPad, and, and the hyperlinks are to basically websites. Ooh, big city, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're up here in the north. You're in flyover country, <laughs> or <laughs> down in Missouri, but no. Um. <laughs> reading on your Illuminati pad. Okay, go ahead. That's right. <laughs> No, no, I bought the iPad instead of a computer, actually. And so uh, it's just more portable for me. But the um, uh, but he was talking about he, he made a link to some article where they'd found in Thor's hammer. Right. And, and then if you look all the way through the bottom of the article, it's an April Fool's joke by the publication. And it says April Fool's at the bottom of the article. <laughs> 
and it's like he didn't read all the way to the end and so it was uh it, that was a comical moment for me oh sure and i'll uh yeah so i reading looking looking back at this having you know spent far too much of my my christmas break reading this book uh <laughs> i'm so sorry no 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 it's okay it, it was an enjoyable read in that you know i was like oh hey this here's another barrel crazy um uh, I think the one thing that I came away with, I was like, you know what, maybe there's something to that. And I legitimately never thought of that before. Uh, and maybe it's just because I haven't read much in the way of biblical commentaries is he has this like throwaway point about the Tower of Babel, mm. where it's like uh, they, they were building the Tower of Babel uh, as a like as a I forget exactly how it says, it, you know, uh, after the flood with the mentality that, you know, this is never going to happen to us again. So we'll build so high that we'll escape the flood. I'm like, you know. <laughs> That's not completely insane. Like, I'm not saying that's a great exegesis, but I can at least see that. And then he went on to tie it into, you know, Hegel or whatever. So I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what he did with it. But there was a point when I, I caught myself almost being on his side and had to pull back a little bit. But yeah. Just and, once. And again, to also to his credit, right? I mean, there are these little nuggets of interesting insights or um, questions, at least, that he raises, right? Um, that are at least entertaining, if not you know, intellectually grounded. Right. But, um, there's, he's clearly read a lot about a lot of things. Right. Uh, so he's read broadly. Um, and the problem is there's just not a, a reading with depth. And I think that, um, that's kind of one of the the things I want to talk about. And if it's okay, I know that we did a show, Oh gosh, a couple of years ago. Now I did a show with, uh, uh Jordan Poss and Jay Eldred about conspiracy theories. And, and we, it was a two parter, I think we, so, uh, the show is, kind of interested in in the weird uh in many ways and so uh it's natural that we come back to this topic and so um the twist i want to make i i in reading this kind of thought more deeply and more kind of systematically i suppose about conspiracy theories and i have like four qualities of conspiracy um mindedness that i want to kind of propose that this book um exhibits but it also shares with a lot of prophecy driven Christianity, this maybe, maybe this, uh, whatever fallen form of dispensationalism, this, uh, this low form of dispensationalism maybe. Um, and so, and maybe we could talk about, uh, how this like can help us understand other kind of flawed views of the world. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is, uh, conspiracy is basically an instrumental reading of current events and his current and historical events um, that they basically use anything in front of them and the whatever whatever they're reading whatever current event or whatever historical event that they're interpreting um, it's not used to understand that thing in and of itself it's used um, to further build another brick I would say on the Tower of Babel here uh, this uh, this uh, this vast conspiratorial structure and so there's like an instrumental use of history uh, and I don't know if there's a um, you have anything to follow up with that yeah I mean uh, uh, so maybe maybe even I would throw in the word uh, an inappropriate instrumental use of history oh, for sure yeah right so uh, I, I think and and I guess we maybe I should save this until we're, we're three or four points but I, I think there are certainly ways in which Christians uh, can do that. Uh, and certainly you see, you know, uh, uh, biblical authors doing that, right? You'll, you'll see, uh, uh, a new Testament author pointing at an event in the old Testament and saying, Hey, this event pointed to Christ or this event pointed to the church or, or whatever. So, yeah. uh, ob- obviously as, as Christians, we're going to say, yeah, there's, there's some grounding for that. Uh, but then that doesn't mean that 
we can do that with everything. Right? <laughs> it, it doesn't mean that I can uh, I can open up my newspaper and read through these events and say, ah, I see I see where this event uh, is clearly a reflection of this spiritual reality. I mean, it, it might be, but it might also be just me wanting to read it that way. Yes, right. And, and it also, I think, tends to be attractive to people who want there to be meaning in everything and, and there has to be a purpose behind it in order for that to be the case. Um, and so like I, my mother, I know she doesn't listen to the show so I can like name her <laughs> without hurting her feelings. Um, but so she, uh, tends to see everything that happens in a person's life as part of God's plan, right? Um, right. Like, well, you know, it's a good thing that you ran out of gas because if you hadn't, there was probably a car accident that would have claimed your life up the road or something, something along those lines, right? Uh, and there's a sense in which I, I, I detect in my mother like a, a desire for everything to be like in God's care, right? And therefore right. meaningful every little event. And there is no kind of room for just random happenstance that – just happens right without without purpose right and i think that um conspiratorial mind works in the same way they can't accept that the civil war happened for a specific set of limited reasons in the american 19th century right uh it it has to be part of this bigger thing or else it doesn't really mean anything and it's terrifying right well and i'll i guess i'll i'll be slightly more charitable to your mother uh (laughs) thank you uh, i think there there's a uh, I think again, there, there's a way a Christian can do this because, uh, you know, as a good Calvinist, I believe in providence, right? Yes. I, I believe that God is is sovereign over the operations of the world. Uh, but where I'm I'm going to separate from the conspiracy theorists, I'm going to say, look, 99% of the time, you you don't know what God is doing or why He's doing it. So the the issue is not that there is no underlying reason or no underlying you know control. It's the issue is my ignorance of that. Yes. And your need to know, um, partially. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you have to be willing to say, look, I, yeah, I'm, I, I believe God is sovereign over me running out of gas. I don't know why that happened, right? Uh, may, maybe it was, you know, my sinful ignoring the, the gas tank and now I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. Maybe it was, you know, wh- whatever. Who knows? Who knows, right? There, there's infinite possible reasons there. Uh, God knows them, but I do not. So we just live in this this uh, cloud of ignorance. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, that's that's all on your first point. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's take us a while to get through this. Uh, no, no, that's okay. Uh, no, no, I won't take that long. Um, I think uh, this might be a, a digestible episode for for a change. Uh, so yeah, three more points, and then I thought we could talk about some of the specific points of the book that we think are entertaining, and and maybe these points being established earlier will help us uh, tease them out a little more. Um, I want to talk about the style of conspiratorial discourse a little bit. Um, there's a and I put the word obscuritism down in my notes. There's a way in which you're writing uh, in a difficult to follow manner. This isn't like, I mean, I'm not talking like Faulkner, Faulknerian prose or something, but <laughs> you, there's so many, like I said before, so many references being pulled in and you're connecting it to so many things. It's difficult for another person to like really follow what you're saying. Um, right. and, and I connect that to a kind of, like Gnosticism, uh, there's sort of almost like an insider baseball uh, uh, way of speaking in conspiracy land that uh, keeps you in the spotlight as keeper of knowledge, right? Um, and I, I think this book definitely falls into those lines. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just difficult, right? It's nonlinear. Yeah. Uh, you know, philosophers write difficult language, yes. but th- they are comprehensible, you know, theoretically with work. Uh, this, this book, you could read it as many times as you want and it's not going to be clarified. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, outline and diagram this, this 
short of the kind of the big picture of the order is in charge and bad. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, I think that's great. Uh, obscuritanism is a good word. I, I might steal that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's an impressionistic painting almost, right? There's just sort of uh, spots everywhere and you have to step way back and you get a general sense, but up close, a lot of the details don't make any sense. Uh, and I listen, I happen to listen to a lot of conspiracy theory, uh, I mean, I, I like to watch these videos on YouTube and, uh, and I listen to a couple of podcasts. And one thing I notice about the speakers on the podcast, particularly, is that these are folks who can talk at length. I mean, you just ask them a question, they will go on for 25 minutes without taking a breath. Um, and it, bringing out like referencing one thing after another one reference reminds them of the next and then there's these little series of digressions and the next thing you know they've gone on for half an hour uh and it's really hard to sum up what they're saying uh and and i think that that kind of impossibility of closure is part of what makes conspiracy conspiracy theory go on right i mean because there's no way to sort of end at this point and so um yeah to me that's a an interesting function or a feature of conspiracy theory but how is that different from just your average college professor yeah this is one reason i feel inadequate as a college professor because i've never been able to do that i i mean i can talk for a couple of minutes at a burst but i i could never fill a an hour long class with just me talking. Right. I mean, I, Oh yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, <laughs> I have, I have no pos- no capability of, of, of lecturing on that level. Uh, uh, like when I do lecture, it's typically at the beginning or the end of a, 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 a talk or a unit or whatever, um, in, in order to just either give some framework or to give some summary, right. Uh, and to sort of make connections to forwards or backwards. Um, I am not somebody who, really thrives as being able to just empty my brain out and just rely on things in my brain. <laughs> so I'm a- oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm sort of the same way, but I, I fill the hour by lecturing from notes. So it's all prepared. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but I, again, I, I know a lot of professors who they just go up to the front of the classroom and, and they're off. Uh, and I think again, the, the difference is they, they have something to say, uh, and it does all tie together and it's not like random tangents for the most part. Yes. Right. Uh, there's, uh, and it's, you know, it's, uh, it's not an instrumental reading of historical events either. It's, it's yeah. like on subject and so on. Although I've had professors that, I mean, it can be, <laughs> it can be just as nonsensical. <laughs> I have to say that sure. uh, when you get those sort of politically motivated, uh, professors who want to use their class as a platform for things. Um, yeah, that, that, that has happened to me in the past. So, um, third thing that I want to talk about is the, the direction of their quote unquote research. Um, and this, I think there's always an outward movement from whatever they're talking about, trying to connect it to these broader, uh, or global, uh, events or, or, you know, making these broader global connections from whatever specific event instead of an inward dive into a specific event, um, that values something in and of itself. Right. And so I think that there's this, uh, uh, I don't know if this is a, a platonic versus Aristotelian approach to things where Aristotle would be more interested in exploring the thing in and of itself. Um, right. and, uh, and, and, and Plato would be more interested in connecting it to the world of forms and ideas. Uh, and so, but there's, if, if that metaphor is actually valid, I would, this is definitely more of a platonic approach then. Yeah. that. No, I, 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 I see the, the, I see the analogy there. Um, I don't, I don't know how far I'd want to go saying this is platonic. 
Uh, that might be giving it too much credit. Yeah, but. not in not in a good sense. <laughs> right, right. I'm I'm just saying directionally. I'm, I'm because I'm thinking of the old uh, the Raphael painting school of Athens, Plato pointing up right, and Aristotle right, right. pointing down. Right, and so yeah, I think that this kind of research if, uh, always points up. Right, and it never investigates something deeply enough to truly understand it. Right, and and that that might just be a a, a function of the if you can call this a genre. Right, yeah. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, uh, he's he's not. He's not exactly writing a self-help book, despite the promises of the preface, right? Uh, uh, he's not. Uh, he's not going to say, "I'm going to share with you, you know, 20 stories out of my own life and how it can benefit yours." This is not what he's writing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's uh, maybe that's he, he because he can't draw those connections, and, and maybe that's just a function of the genre. But it's certainly there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. And there's a weak um, understanding of all the historic events. I think that he's the ones that I actually am aware of. I know that there are things that he's totally leaving out and or misreading, right. right? You know, and some of them I wasn't even aware of, right? And uh, and so I think that there's just a sense that I'm again maybe it's connected to the utilitarianism of this. I'm using this for this broader agenda that I'm bringing to the to my to my study. But yeah, that's definitely a feature though of conspiratorial thought. And I think that those kinds of cheap prophetic readings of uh, of current events in the Bible. I think that mm-hmm. when you're reading the prophets of the Old Testament, you have an obligation to understand that event in its own context, right? Before you start attaching it to um, this big global, uh, this big sort of arc of history, at least. Um, and so finally, um, I think you mentioned this before, there's a, a twisting of logic or facts to make it fit sometimes, right? There's, I guess all of these are connected to this, there's this architecture that holds all of their readings of the world together. And sometimes the facts don't fit that architecture and we have to make them fit. Right. And so right. There's, there's a way of, uh, of, uh, of twisting our readings of things to make them fit. And one example that stands out to me, and maybe you have one that stands out to you at some point, for some reason, later in the book, he starts talking about William Blake. And, um, and, and so <laughs> <laughs> he talks at length about William Blake and his, uh, the new Jerusalem poem and, connecting it to England and, and Israel and all these other sorts of um, historic uh, geopolitical players. And at some point he uh, references a paint. Oh no, he, he quotes a blog or uh, that was interpreting William Blake's poem in a certain way. He says, and by the way, I happened to notice this and he zooms in that it was like copyrighted by like the Yale library or somebody oh, like that. Right, and so right. because of that, <laughs> It has to do with skull and bones in Yale, right? <laughs> and so, and he says, what do you think of that, huh? You know, it's just all of these like twisted little connections that he's just trying so hard to make, make fit. And so, uh, that one stood out to me as particularly humorous. Is there any, uh, like, uh, leaps of logic? Oh, man. Well, I like the, uh, the underground bunker that the, uh, the, the wealthy people have for the, the coming collapse, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I like where is this thing? <laughs> I mean, there there must be construction records. Someone built it. You know, I mean, it has to be there somewhere. If you, and uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. If you like listen to enough conspiracy podcasts, like I do, there is a whole thing. I mean, whenever you know, there is a thing about called the black budget, right? That's a real thing. There is money that we don't know as American citizens what it goes to. Right. right. Um, and so, so theoretically Congress knows, but we don't theoretically Congress knows. Right. And so 
conspiracy theorists make something of this and then they take up a story that somebody has said about these underground uh, bases, which are called deep underground military bases or dumb, D-U-M-B, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's part of this uh, effort to kind of create a whole world underground and the, the, the rumors are and the rumors then become fact for the conspiracy theorist that these go spread for hundreds of miles across sort of the Southwest of the United States. And that the whole, basically half of the country is connected undermined underground by these uh, giant tunnels that are connecting these giant bases for what is called the quote unquote breakaway situation or uh, civilization, the breakaway civilization. Um, When if you follow conspiracy theories enough, um, the breakaway civilization is kind of a a code for what he's talking about here. And so he of course is connecting it to this religious thing. And I think that's a very interesting, but what he's talking about is something very standard in conspiracy theory world. Um, which I would assume a lot of this is. I oh, mean, I, I don't absolutely. follow conspiracy theories, but I, I I can't imagine there's much original in this. I mean, no, the only original thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure it's not original just to him, but this for the you know in the kind of straight conspiracy conspiracy theory world, all of these topics, skull and bones, East India Company that he talks about, all of them are like really standard um, subjects. But what he's done is make kind of biblical prophecy out of it all instead of um, aliens or whatever uh, overarching grand narrative that the uh, the normal conspiracy theorist comes up with. And yeah, so the breakaway civilization. And so that also morphs into the secret space program. So we actually have colonies on Mars uh, and all these other places that the elite know that they're poisoning the world here because they don't care because they're all going to be moving up to uh, – wherever <laughs> the, the, the paradise of Mars. Yeah. 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 Um, which actually has an atmosphere. And so, yeah. And all of these things lead to another twisting effect. Right. So, but those four things seem to like capture, I think, uh, an interesting habit of mind, uh, that is, I think helpful in understanding why conspiracy theories are limited in their usefulness, but also, you know, in the ways in which that kind of prophecy driven Christianity and way of reading the Bible may also be limited in certain ways too. And this is not to, uh, um, uh, certainly to offend anybody who, uh, reads revelation in a certain way, but, uh, but we all do know that there are bad ways to do biblical prophecy, even if you believe in it. Right. And so, (laughs) so that's uh, right. Um, uh, are there certain subjects you want to talk about? I mean, I think we got to talk about skull and bones. That seems to be, that's kind of where he begins <laughs> and keeps coming back to. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I know very little about like the actual skull and bones, uh, which apparently is by design, right? I mean, they, uh, <laughs> uh, they, they don't want me to know. Uh, and, and uh, I, I understand. So like, like as with skull and bones, the, the same is true with the Masons. Like I, I get why, you might look at that and think, gosh, there, there must be a conspiracy because look at how many of our major figures have been involved with it. Yeah. Right. And and, and, and it is a large number. It's, it's a disproportionate number. Sure. Uh, that, that, that's certainly true. Uh, I was actually uh, talking about representation in Congress in, in one of my upper level classes the other day. And we go through, you know, here's how many Caucasians and here's how many Afri- African-Americans and how many men and how many women, how many Catholics and, and, and on and on and on. And, and the, the question is, you know, who's the uh, – Who's the the most overrepresented? And it's totally the Masons. I mean, if uh, uh, if at least if the internet numbers are accurate, yeah, right. Uh, if if you're if if the if the internet numbers are accurate, it's I don't even remember. It's like two hundred Masons or something like that. And I, I think that number is probably far too high. I'm sure it's a conspiracy page that I got it off of. Uh, 
but even even if it's only you know uh, even if it's only twenty five percent of that, it's that's still more than there are actual masons and masons in the country. Uh, same thing, from what I understand, is true of Skull and Bones. Uh, you know, many many of our our national leaders are you know disproportionately part of that organization. Yeah. Uh, now the 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 the, the same response is well yeah it's it's centered in yale right <laughs> exactly. it's 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 the elite college or one of the elite colleges uh that that trains our national leaders so of course of course that's it's going to be that way uh but it's still it's still understandable by why someone's going to look at that and say ah see these these guys have too much power uh you see the same thing with with you know uh traditionally roman catholics right yeah. uh, uh uh disproportionately represented uh uh, uh jewish uh politicians right uh sure uh, so up until last year, uh, yeah, early last year, uh, our entire Supreme Court was Roman Catholic and Jewish, uh, no, no Protestants whatsoever on it. Uh, and I mean, I can't, I can't imagine the conspiracy world wasn't just buzzing about that. <laughs> and and again, I, why is that the case? Well, I don't know. I, I don't study uh, study necessarily, but I would imagine it's a cultural like parents encouraging their children to become attorneys. Uh, you know, heavily I, I assume, and that just leads to more people in the position to get the job. It's, it's not a conspiracy of like the Roman Catholic church is trying to take over our government. Right. Uh, yeah. But well, how do we get on that skull and bones, right? Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, how yeah. do I, am I talking about Catholics on the Supreme court? <laughs> but no, you're talking about like networking institutions though. Right. And so you're right. right. The rich and powerful people of America go to Ivy league schools, right. And they send their children who are, almost predestined to also be rich and powerful because they right. were, because of the families they were born into, they send them to those same schools. Right. And by tradition, they join the same fraternities and, and those sorts of things. Right. Uh, and make networks. And so there is a sense, I mean, that is a kind of conspiracy. I mean, it's, it's more of a, a sociological one though. It isn't necessarily driven purposefully, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, they're, 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 there's no organized group out there doing this. Right. And, and of course these, these schools, uh, it doesn't even have to be schools that we're talking about, but, uh, these, these organizations like, like Yale, like Harvard actively seek out, uh, people who are not wealthy, but are the best and the brightest. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, JD Vance's book was making the rounds a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he is, he is from a, well, we did an episode about it, sure, right? Uh, yeah. we, we did our hillbilly, hillbilly elegy episode on city of man, uh, go, go to city of man's uh, feed and you'll find that one. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, he, he is by no means, uh, from the elite class and yet, uh, he, he got to go through Yale. So, uh, again, it's, it, it's comprehensible. I get why people see that and think conspiracy, uh, both because there, there is this disproportionate representation and because once you see this, it, it automatically has to become an inside outside thing, right? Uh, there's, there's this little group, uh, that's in charge and I'm not part of it. Uh, and I will never be part of it. Right. Sure. Uh, I, I, I can't be part of it uh, because by the time I recognize it, it's already too late. Right. right? Even even if I originally had the uh, uh, the ability to uh, take advantage of those opportunities and, and join the club. But by by this point, I mean, uh, just just for myself, I'm I'm in my mid 30s. I'm not going to Yale. Uh, right. I'm, I'm not going to be a, high, a powerful government official. I don't want to be those things. But, yeah. uh, you know, even if I wanted to. That, that opportunity is closed off. So it's easier to blame someone else. Yes. Okay. That's, that's a good point. Um, and it also, I, I think speaks, speaks to the, I mean, there's always like a, a sense of justice to any kind of conspiracy theory, right? There's right. a kind of a high moral ground that they're taking. And I think you're, you've identified right there, uh, 
part of the motivation for that high moral ground. Um, now, I do want to say, though, that and he, the links that he provides, some of them go to crazy conspiracy podcast or, you know, uh, websites that I'm aware of just because of my intellectual interest in conspiracy theories. And I should clarify, I, I don't believe in. I mean, there are obviously conspiracies that happen, right? Um, I don't believe in these grand conspiracy theories. I find conspiracy theory interesting as intellectually interesting as a form of storytelling, like of corporate storytelling. And so I think that they're just fascinating subjects to, to, uh, to follow the way. It's like a rhetorical interest of mine, kind of. Uh, right. And so I always have to clarify that with students when they find out that I know way too much about conspiracy theories. <laughs> I have to t- explain why. Uh, but uh, it's, I guess, related to my interest in horror films. But, uh, but the, um, there is, though, like actual reporting. And, and sometimes people have captured images of things. And so he actually has a link to like some distant uh, recording of, of an introduction or an, uh, what are, initiation ceremony from uh, Skull and Bones in, at Yale. And it's weird. Um, and, and there's also oh, sure, there's sure. also video of uh, what's what's Bohemian Grove is the one out in California where right. the rich elite people come together once a year and, and have crazy hippie summer summer camp together right and um and uh and there's been kind of subversive video i think alex jones is the one who obtained this by the way um but and it's weird and it looks satanic right uh and so there is a sense in which you see the way this looks and it does look nefarious right um how would you explain the weirdness of skull and bones's rituals i mean i would I would point to any fraternity in the country and say, look, this is, this is what these groups do. Right. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I, I am not saying there aren't weird things they do. I'm saying they're not conspiring to run the country and collapse civilization. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, well, we're, we're, uh, uh, some, some of that of course is, is perspective. Uh, there, there are people who say that the things Christians do are weird. Right. Uh, now, no, I think uh, you have you know, stronger ground with something like skull and bones or or fraternity initiations or what have you. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's that's the sort of thing that societies do to bring in new members, right? You you do things to make you stand out, and by definition, that's going to be weird. And and you and there's a ritualistic nature. I mean, you made the connection to things that Christians do, right? And and to like literally ask somebody what. The Eucharist is right, um, and, and to have them explain it as something right. more than symbolic, it's weird, right? And, and so, and it's kind of morbid. And so, there is a sense in which ritual. And I'm not an anthropologist or anything like this at all. I've barely done enough reading to to know what I'm talking about here. But I mean, there's a sense in which ritual tries to put us into contact with the outskirts of polite civilization, right? Um, in order to remove us from our kind of normal habits of mind, right? And so these initiation rituals, I mean, it's the same thing. Any fraternity has very hedonistic rituals, right? Any kind of toga party, it's its, its own kind of ritual, right? And, and it tends to be debaucherous and hedonistic, right? Um, it's, it's, it's meant to purposefully move you away from the, uh, the sort of normal polite practices of society right and so uh, i think that there's probably a good sociological reason for the way that skull and bones rituals look um, and it doesn't necessarily then connect to this larger satanic uh, plot since nimrod since the days of the tower of babel and all these, <laughs> right? 
Well, if I yeah, if I can if I can pick on my own my own institution for a second, which I I actually really uh, appreciate this ritual. But at the beginning of every semester, we have a, a processional across campus. Uh, and uh, at the head of the processional is always this guy in sort of traditional Scottish garb playing the bagpipes. Mm. Uh, and I mean, come on, talk about weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, and, and again, I love it. I, I don't know what we're going to do when this professor retires. Like, Because uh, <laughs> uh, no one else plays the bag, bagpipes that I know of. But again, it, it's if you're on the outside looking in, you're like, what on earth are these crazy Baptists doing? Oh, OK. And we're like, you know, we're we're having our opening processional. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, well, in any, I mean, any college graduation with the robes that we wear, I mean, we're wearing robes from, you know, the middle ages that are, you know, does, I mean, it's, uh, all ritual is meant to look alien and antique. Right. And, and right. so I think that there's a sense, uh, in which conspiracy theorists, because we are on the outside, we infer the worst um, possible motives to things that are probably just rich people taking advantage of their ability to be stupid, right? And not have to suffer any consequences from right, which is its own kind of conspiracy, right? But uh it's more of a of a, a Marxian one. And so um and so um yeah, so the skull and bones one, that's a big thing for him. And somehow he connects again this move towards connection. He connects the founder of Skull and Bones with the East India uh, company and all of the atrocities that are legitimately, I mean, East India company le- legitimately did terrible things, right? Um, uh, like very few people will argue that. Um, and, but he connects it all as part of the same agenda, right? They aren't two historical, historically limited um, events or situations, right? They're all part of the same vast agenda passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. And I, I forget the, uh, the connection was like the founder of Yale was also like head of the East India Company or something like that, or they got or his grandfather money from was the East or, something. or something. Yeah, I don't I don't remember exactly, but there was some kind of like, and that's how you know big business and higher education tie together and ruin the world. Yeah, yeah, and and so and there's also there's another example of that jumping the Russell family, right? Somehow right. he does some genealogy on his own to connect the Russell family with some. Um, Norse family, the, the has, Norman conquest of England. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he starts talking about Vikings and then he ends a chapter. Oh, by the way, did you ever notice the Minnesota Vikings have horns on their helmets? That was just for witches. Right. And so it's just like all of these bizarre connections that have to be extrapolated, uh, based on one kind of minuscule, um, observation. And so, um, you'd mentioned the Jesuits. That's another thing that he, he kind of goes kind of at length. The Jesuits are kind of like, the CIA for the Pope is the way he sort of describes them. Yeah, I, that that part was mildly interesting. I don't know a whole lot about the Jesuits, but uh, it did make me wonder if the author is is Roman Catholic, uh, because of the uh, of the Catholic friends I've got who maybe lean a little bit in this guy's direction. There's there's kind of a unity of dislike of the Jesuits there, uh, and it's uh, it's for all the conspiracy reasons, right? They're 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 not really a secret society, but they look like a secret society. They're sort of historically off doing their own thing uh, yeah. in the name of the Pope, uh, somewhat outside of the control of the rest of the church and, and, and so on. So, yeah, again, I, I don't I don't have any evidence of that one way or another. It just it sort of sounded like people I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder that, too. Now, you right before we started recording and I haven't even had a chance to really listen to this, sent me a YouTube clip. And, and, and you said, you asked, I don't know if you're seriously asking if this is the author of the, um, my guess is no, because this guy claims that he's from, um, 
Phoenix at some point, which you again right. infers some symbolic meaning to. It's Phoenician and has something to do with some, some sort of this right. or that. But um, um, but this fella, I think uh, that we're gonna I, I'm gonna play a, just a, a couple clips from it. Um, and these aren't queued up, so bear with me. It might be a little sloppy. But uh, if the video, he's wearing this like red and blue kind of sweatshirt with a giant crucifix. Yeah, it's a crucifix uh, and a gigantic right to life button uh, like next to the crucifix. And so um, he's going to be talking about whether 2018 is the year of the Antichrist. So I just want to play his introduction, first of all, and tie it back to something I noticed about the author of this book. Oops. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host. William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, and the co-prophet of these end times. Okay, right there. I just want to talk about his introduction of himself, right? Also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Um, there's like a grandiosity uh, of self-perception there that is really weird, um, but also very kind of proud, right? And, and Right. Yeah. And and do you want to have any of that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I give myself titles all the time, so I can I can sympathize with that, right? Uh, I uh, <laughs> I mean, I I, I it, it helps that I, I actually have a title and that I'm an assistant professor and a city collector. <laughs> That's but, right. You know, I could I could also be you know a professor of awesomeness here at Southwest Baptist University <laughs> and you know, pile pile them on. So you might as well be the third eagle of the apocalypse. Why not? And, and I guess so. What they're striving for is a kind of or authority, not authenticity, right. but authority, right. right? And and so it seems to be that you're not going to get that through normal institutions. You're not going to get that through the PhD robes uh, right. that we wear. You're not going to get that through you know whatever um, degree or whatever kind of uh, job. Actually, stand. lose some authority that way. So. Exactly right. And so what these folks tend to do is kind of prop up themselves as. Uh, like I said, almost Gnostic priests, right? They're, right. they're the keepers of knowledge um, through this arcane kind of language. And, and I think that this author, Judah, uh, clearly does that, right? And, and I think that that's also something that I notice about the prophecy preacher that I remember not trusting much is that there's sort of a lot of um, – like emphasis put on him being called Bishop this or, or whatever deacon that. Right. And so, right. um, and I think that there's something about status that I don't really know what to make of, but it's important in understanding this kind of mind, I guess. So, um, and so I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. I'm, I, I may not have it queued up exactly right. Like I said, I got this like literally, 30 seconds before we started recording. Yeah, sorry, I, sh I should have sent it to you sooner. <laughs> no, no, it's good. But I, I just kind of quickly uh, found this. And I wanted to, he, I think his, the introduction to his question that he's going to talk about, and I'm not going to play the whole 10 minutes, but uh, just a few seconds of it, maybe. I have found it a little bit beyond my capabilities. And on this program, I want to talk about the possibility of the Antichrist going public. And the reason I say that is because this is the year 2018. And 18 is another expression of 6 plus 6 plus 6. And 666 <laughs> is the number of the Antichrist in Bible prophecy. And in the book of Revelation, John speaks twice that you need wisdom and understanding. 
Those are the only two times he uses that phrase. And both times he is talking about sacred numerology. So it's very important for us to understand the meaning of 666. Okay, I think that's enough. I think you get a sense of where he's going and where I might be going by playing this, right? Um, I think that there's a, uh, a reliance on, here we go, extra biblical sorts of, I mean, this is nothing that an Orthodox Christian would go into, like biblical numerologies, like that's kind of, you're off on your own at this point. Am, am I right? right? I mean, depending on what you do with it. But yeah, so obvi- obviously there are times when numbers have meaning, but again, it's that application, right? How 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 you take that and apply it is, is going to be where you're like, well, wait a second, right? So obviously 666 is in the Bible, so it means something. <laughs> uh, does it mean the year 2018? Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember my mom um, freaking out again. I, my, my poor mom. Um, this will be, of course, be the first episode she's ever listened to. But, um, but I remember when Reagan was elected, um, she was freaking out because the he had six let, six letters in each of his names: Ronald Wilson right. Reagan, right? right? And so there was all this panic that he was going to be the Antichrist. Um, Turns out she was right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding about that. <laughs> so um, send your email too. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally kidding. Um, but yeah, so but that's a, a very common feature of that kind of reading tea leaves sort of uh, of current events, um, r- like reading current events instrumentally for this right. grand architecture of the conspiracy theory through which you see the world, right? And, and I right. think that that I mean it's something that Judah not only does here. But uh, but also, you know, us normal us normal people do it often, I think, as well. Um, do I, we're approaching an hour and I, I wanted this to be a shorter episode, <laughs> but I don't want to cut you off. Is there are there things that you want to talk about, Coyle? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, so, uh, again, go back and listen to the conspiracy episodes because that that I think lays a lot of this groundwork. Uh, but I think uh, I I think there's also something to to be said for conspiracy theories developing out of a uh, not quite robust enough view of original sin. Oh, right. There's, there's this idea that, uh, bad things in the world are happening. Uh, and I, I can't bring myself to believe that people are that bad or that there's something in me that could cause that. Uh, so it must be this, this conspiracy out there, right? There, there are people who are uh, a small group of people who are causing all of the ills of the world, or at least many of the ills of the world, maybe, maybe not even all of them. Uh, and, and that way I don't have to deal with my own internal problems and I don't have to assume that there, there is a problem that humanity can't deal with on its own. Right. So, uh, uh, that combined with the, again, the, the very good true sense that there, there is some kind of reason, reason and order in the world. So you have to, as a Christian, we have to have both of those things side by side, right? We, we believe that people are bad. We believe that there's rationality and order in the world, uh, but again, if, if you let either of those slide, I think you, you move towards you move towards conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, and it, it is a sense. I mean, because the idea of original sin then negates the need for conspiracy theory. Right. I mean, right. the fact that there doesn't have to be a demon in your ear whispering at every little bad goading right. you into doing every little bad right. thing. You, you just, do. you just want to do it. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so there is a sense in which the, the theology of the conspiracy theorist 
is kind of like the who's the guy that wrote this present darkness like <laughs> oh uh peretti frank yeah 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 it, it, it's they see the world as a frank peretti novel right you have this right. uh this idea in which there are actors who are behind the scenes put pulling the strings for all of us who are really just innocents being led, led astray uh, or held down in this case and so yeah absolutely that's a really great uh, uh pushback against the conspiracy theorists uh, so I, I do want to ask, uh, do you think, and this is, this is going to get like hyper political. Um, uh, do you think there, there's anything to, uh, see, how do I want to phrase this? Uh, so, so last year at some point, uh, Donald Trump came out with like the, the FBI was wiretapping Trump tower during the campaign. Yeah. Right. And the, the instant reaction from, from me and everyone else was like, oh my gosh, what a conspiracy nut. Yeah. Right. And, and time goes on. And, and sure enough, the, the way he told it was not true. Right. But the, the nugget of truth at heart was that, yes, in fact, they were. Yeah. And, uh, uh, for, you know, reasons that are now sort of being looked into. Uh, yeah. so is there, is there something to the, the idea that just enough of them are true? Yes. That they, they keep being fed. Absolutely. That, I mean, it's like any mythology has its source in something that actually happened, right? I mean, the, like people don't just make stories up. I mean, they're adaptations of something true, right? And so conspiracy theories, they, it's like take doing a, when you have a freshman and they do sort of a bad, uh, close reading of a story. They're observing something in the story. They're just drawing the wrong, um, conclusions from it. And so I think that conspiracy theories very often are observing something correct. And I'm mean, like going back to skull and bones. It is undeniable, as you said, that so many people, I mean, Carrie and Bush, when they ran against each other, were both skull and bones brothers. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, that just looks weird. Right. And, and so they're um, observing something true. And it's the, a matter of what grand narrative are you going to attach it to now? Right. And so, right. um, the, I honestly have not followed this memo thing. It, it, this is one of those, I'm <laughs> utterly confused by it. And every time I start reading about it, I, I realize that I'm reading it through somebody's, um, ideological filter and it just irritates me and I have not really right. kept up with it. Um, but, and so I, I know this has something to do with, with that. Right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's the uh, the Babylon B article that was like the the memo just says confirmation bias. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I love the Babylon B. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, and so yeah, it seems to me that obviously there is a, a true event that happens, right? And what it means, it's our interpretation of those events that's that's at stake here. And, and I think that yeah, and, and honestly, it's the same thing with on the the other end of the political spectrum the Russia tampering in the election that, that this has been right. a grand liberal conspiracy theory ever since Trump's election, right? And right. and my point is maybe there was some of. Uh, <laughs> I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was some inappropriate contact, right, between the campaign and out-of-state players uh, right. in the campaign. Maybe those people should be punished for what they did. My point is the the conspiratorial mind will make that the reason that Hillary lost the election, right? right. <laughs> when If that's the case, then some 15-year-old um, guy in Ukraine – Ran a better campaign than she did, uh, you know, by yeah. by putting ads in Wisconsin the week before the the election, right? And so I feel like uh, it's one thing to observe that maybe there was something going on there. We should definitely look into it. And if somebody broke a law, they should be punished for it. Let's right. not make that the reason that Hillary lost the election, right? And so, right. 
Well, and go farther, right? I mean, say say they were, I, I think they probably were, you know, actively trying to influence the outcome of the election. They weren't in the voting booth, you know, pulling pulling levers or pressing buttons. Right. I mean, uh, it was at, at the end of the day. Uh, well, I, I don't remember if we've done an episode on this or not. You you can't hack American elections. They're they're run at the county level, so like it's like you can you can tell Americans they should vote one way or the other. That that can certainly happen, uh, but. I mean, uh, my my voting booth is controlled by the the sweet little old ladies who work in our county courthouse, <laughs> and I mean that's as the like they're they're not taking orders from the Russians. <laughs> they're really just not. Yeah, yeah, I doubt Myrtle but, is right. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, but but again, there's there's still the like you said, there's still the the seed of truth there that rather than rather than facing your own limitations, it's it's so much easier just to blame everything on that. Right. Uh, uh, and everyone's guilty of this to some extent. Right? Oh. That, that's that's not just conspiracy theorists. That's we we all do that. Uh, uh, conspiracy theorists are just experts at it. Yeah. I, re- uh, I don't know what episode this is. A couple of episodes ago, um, I did a show on American Psycho and its relationship with Donald Trump. And, and in the book, if you even <laughs> listen to that episode, he actually has a pretty big role in the book that was taken out of the movie for very interesting um, reasons by the director. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more about that. But I think I said during that episode um, that when Trump won, I predict, I mean, we could think of in recent history, um, conspiratorial political thought as as part and parcel of the conservative end of the spectrum, like your Alex Joneses and those kinds of people. Um, and it what that leaves out is that's because it's fear driven. Right. And so when Obama's going to take your guns, that's when you start developing conspiracy theories. When Sharia law is coming into, you know, Montana, that's when you're going to, that's when you're going to start <laughs> developing conspiracy theories. And so, um, because it's fear driven when Trump was elected, um, because he's so like insulting to all of our sensibilities, I knew that the liberals are now are going to be <laughs> susceptible to right. spreading fake stories and believing conspiracy theories and jumping on every little rumor as if it was confirmation of what they thought. Right. As they were under Bush, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's. Uh, it's maybe easier now because the internet's more widespread. Yeah. But yeah, and and the, and I suppose there's something to that too, right? The the instant communication, the instant widespread communication, uh, just throws gasoline on the conspiracy fires. Yeah, yeah, and it's so. I mean, it's so things get recycled through our news cycle so quick that fact checking is not even worth the time because the story is going to be over by the time you find check the fact. And so um, that's why these things get spread. I mean, it's like a, a brush fire almost. Um, and so, yeah, there's a, a way in which we're all susceptible to these, what I've identified as four kind of features of conspiracy, conspiratorial thought. Right. Um, and so, I don't want to pick on Judah <laughs> too much. I, I really think he sets out a template for a flawed way of thinking that we're all sort of um, susceptible to. Um, yeah. So um, other thoughts? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's all. Do, I tried not to think too much about this. Did, you th- you, nice thoughts, though. Did you want to talk a little about the Facebook page? Um, that is oh, actually goodness, yes, worth looking yes. at. So, so some of this makes its way into the book, but uh, of course, there's the the requisite. This is what the book's about, uh, and if you want like a short version of the crazy, that's that's a great place to go. It is, yeah. Uh, and then there's the uh, uh, the from the author section and the more about the author section. Yes, uh, they they have they have something about the author there. Uh, 
so uh, let's see. Uh, I don't want to read the whole thing, but can I read a little bit of it? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so from the author, a sacred scroll of seven seals uh, was a personal journey of research on which I recently embarked. It seemed as if there were at least a major eye-opening discovery around every corner. Uh, during the first few weeks of research, I kept notes, but when I discovered the identity of the Holy Grail, uh, which I get, we haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, he gets there, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I began documenting my findings diligently, uh, so on and so on. Uh, I researched, read, and wrote uh, for 10 to 19 hours a day like a slave. Uh, I, uh, I didn't even know if my savings would outlast my curiosity, and they didn't. Uh, I assume that means financially. Um, uh, right. Yeah. Not, not like the, the research he was saving. Yeah, um, no, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's too bad. Um, many of my family members didn't think I would ever snap out of the madness uh, as if there were simply no ending to the rabbit hole in which I was submerged. Uh, and then, uh, he, he goes on to, uh, uh, to talk a little bit more and where's the, uh, Oh, where's the bit about how he discovers drugs? Um, uh, Oh yeah. So, uh, uh, I'd been on legal prescription painkillers for uh, for approximately two years when they started writing this book and as mentioned i got clean uh quotes clean using an african root bark which is highly illegal in the u.s uh which might explain the pseudonym uh there's uh there's no sense of betrayal uh, by your own country like waking up in a tijuana basement completely clean from the most vicious prescription opiate addiction many could ever imagine after only a few days yeah uh, one of the side effects of the crazy root bark medicine is a hallucinogenic experience, which lasts up to 48 hours. This also made for a pretty good book. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he goes on to say that, believe it or not, you know, many of the visions I had while receiving this treatment match up with the stories in the sacred scroll of the seven seals uncannily. So, uh, yeah. And I guess that explains how he comes up with there are three Geronimos in history and, <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. Um, some African root got him there. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, about the author comes after that. A pen name taken for the author's protection is confirmed, is a confirmed Amazon number one best selling author. Uh, and I, I have, uh, again, I think it's Thomas Pynchon. Um, I do want to talk about his biography though, because we're talking about, um, uh, oh gosh, you know, um, conservatives and liberals. And he actually is very critical of the Bush family. And, uh, sure. like as many as most conspiracy theorists are, they see because of, you know, the Bush's power over many generations, Prescott Bush is always a central figure in a lot of conspiracy theories, including, um, JFK's assassination. And, and there's all, I mean, there's a bazillion right. um, connections. Uh, and when George, senior being head of the CIA. It doesn't help either. Right. Um, right. But he, as his author picture, he has a still of, <laughs> of the Trump. Uh, what is this? The, the RNC convention. It's the RNC. It's the empty RNC convention. Yeah. And so the floor is he's emphasizing the floor looks like the British flag. And he, if you go into the book, are the flags are very important symbology for the, the order and their, you know, symbolic control over the world. And he gets into owls, how there's things shaped like owls, which apparently is Lilith and related to what goes on in Bohemian Grove and related to this and related to that. And there's on the money and everywhere else, even on Donald Trump's uh, convention floor as he gets the Republican nomination is the British flag, which is somehow related to all this stuff. So, yeah, um, lest you think this is sort of a liberal or a conservative screed, uh, it, it it is bipartisan and it's, it's a critique of American power uh, or, or world power, I guess. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, and yeah, go at least go to check out his, um, 
uh, Amazon page, uh, Sacred Scroll of Seven Seals, The Lost Knowledge of Good and Evil is, uh, is an interesting read just in and of itself. But, uh, um, Coyle, thank you for this. I, as we were record, starting to record, I'm like, how did we even get here? This was the strangest. <laughs> it was a joke you were making that I took seriously. And here we have an hour and 15 minutes later a show. And so, uh, <laughs> No, no, you, no, we we had an informal deal here, right? Like you're you're going to come on to City of Man, to, and we're going to talk about another crazy book. Uh, but a good one, Dune, right? Yes. Um, I began reading Dune, and I am almost through it. And yeah, that should be coming up. I should be done with that in the next couple of weeks, and um, awesome. I will get in touch then. And I'm happy to talk about that. That's been uh, on my list of things to read for a long time, and uh, I'm more than happy to uh, to discuss it with somebody. So, um, I think it's a great book. So that's, that's it is. Equally conspiratorial, though. Um, it is, right? And uh, I think I have some ideas as to why you asked me to be on it, but um, <laughs> on your discussion. But we'll get there, I guess, when we talk about that book. Um, but, you know, this was uh, this was a lot of fun for me. I always like talking about this stuff. If you're listening and thinking that I'm just sort of crazy, you, you know, it's not entirely inaccurate. But uh, I, uh, I do have sort of intellectual reasons for being interested in this kind of marginal uh, kind of discourse. And so I think it is something that isn't just worth just to be ignored. I think it is something that teaches us something about a pattern of mind that we are all susceptible to in our own ways. This person, maybe because of the African route, went off in sort of crazy town, but the way he's approaching questions isn't all that different than the way a lot of us approach our questions. And I think that that's, you know, it's worth considering conspiratorial thinking for that reason. Um, cool. And I, I have to say that if, uh, I, I get all of what you're saying, and that's all sort of true on the surface. But if we scrape all of that away, what we find the truth is that you, Danny Anderson, are Judah, and you're just shilling your book. <laughs> if only I were that brilliant, right? <laughs> I, I know what's going on with all this research and air quotes that you're doing. You've turned it into a novel, and now we've we've talked about it. You you forced me to pitch well, this book to you. I implanted the idea, yes, in your head through uh, my – Using you know. your control of Amazon recommends. <laughs> I hacked the algorithm, um, <laughs> which if you look at the numerical sequence, you can see, you know, my birth date is in there somewhere. May 1st <laughs> is my birthday. And so, uh, and so yeah. Um, yeah, this is uh, – <laughs> you're probably right. Although it did get me thinking, what's to stop me from writing some sort of – sectarian review manifesto and just selling it to people on Amazon. Maybe I, maybe I can uh, make your, some, your wife, make some coin. <laughs> My wife. Yeah, that's true. No, she's letting me, uh, I've been doing a little bit of writing lately. Uh, you know, little, whatever cultural think pieces that amuse myself. And so it, it's, it's therapeutic <laughs> for me. So, uh, but yeah, I, and this guy clearly just, uh, he didn't go through a publisher for this, right? He's, uh, he's all on his own. So, and he's sold at least two copies. So, <laughs> Well, he's got 60 some reviews, so at least maybe 60, so up up to 60. So, and at, you know, $4 each, he's looking at in the, uh, the four digits there. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so, well, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, uh, I please do like give us feedback on this. I will put a link to the show on our Facebook page. If you go like our Facebook page, you'll get those updates and, uh, the conversations that spring out of those are really fun for me to, to participate in and read. I learn a lot from not only my 
great guests like Coil Neal, the City of Man podcast. I learn a lot from our listeners. Um, people send me emails, and uh, and it, it's a lot of fun. So um, I would like some more iTunes reviews. I'm gonna you know start to uh, uh, read those on air as they come in. So uh, like read, go to iTunes and submit a review, and I will read it on air. Um, and uh, please do. Contact us if you have any uh, uh, questions. Um, go listen to all of our network shows and uh, and uh, enjoy what we do, the Christian Humanist Radio Network. You can find all their stuff at christianhumanist.org. And uh, there's my little, I got to get better at the uh, fade in here. So, uh, But uh, christianhumanist.org, you'll find all of our network shows, included, including City of Man. Sectarianreviewpodcast.com is just for us. So have a great day. <laughs>